I'm Cinder Niemela, and along with Charlotte Gilmano, welcome to the Inspired Wisdom Podcast. I believe the most powerful gifts you can give yourself is time to reflect on your talents and experience, and then have the wisdom to act with confidence and grace. This podcast is for entrepreneurs, leaders, and individuals who want to thrive in work and life. Your journey to being connected and inspired by the world around you starts right now. My guest today is Kristen Anniker. Kristen was a costume designer in Hollywood for 26 years. She has 49 movie credits to her name. Kristen started designing costumes for her husband's rock band in the 1980s. Then her husband left her and she had no way of expressing her passion and livelihood, or so she thought. Kristen will share with us her most challenging times of leaving the security of her home in Sonoma, California for the ever-changing world of Hollywood and of putting herself out there every time one movie ended to make the transition from one movie to the next. As consultants and humans, we all need a network that supports us in clearing away our limiting beliefs and cheers us on as we find our voice in the world. Kristen found the support she needed to be courageous and step out onto a bigger stage in the Artist Conference Network. Kristen shares with us the origins of this national organization that is open to anyone who wants to play on the outer limits of possibility and the highest potential of their life's work. Kristen, welcome to the call. Thank you. Oh, I have so many questions. Some about the films that you did. Ah! So let's, let's start right at the beginning. You were a costume designer in Hollywood. I saw that you have 49 credits, 49 movies. Is that right to your name? Yep. That is just awesome. I know. All because of the artist conference. N- never would have done it without the artist, ever ever would have done it without the artist conference. Well, tell us that story. That's such a great story. Married to a musician and designing his clothes, I went to art school. So I studied sculpture and painting and I started making all these insane costumes for him, like buffalo costumes and harmonica costumes. I lived in Northern California. And then he left me and I was devastated. And Beverly Castle called me and said, come and take this artist conference. And I was like, leave me alone, Beverly. I'm not going to design anymore. I'm going to go back to school. Leave me alone. And she said, come on, what if I promised to change your life? And I was like, leave me alone. I was so upset with her. So I ended up taking the weekend in Northern California. And it was the first group she'd ever done outside of LA that she was letting go. It was her first, first time she ever did a weekend and left us with how to run our own. And I got the first day we get visions. And the minute I got my vision, I saw myself in LA with with Fellini. (laughs) And what was your vision? I can't even remember. It was very long and drawn out. Something about stepping out of context to create openings for something. It was really long and descriptive. Mm -hmm. And it was 1989, so it was a long time ago. I saw myself in LA and I never would go to LA when I was married to this musician because I thought LA was polluted and evil and violent and I didn't want to go there. And I went to LA and when I got there, I joined Beverly's group in LA and I was designing and like within a couple months, it was amazing. 
No kidding. And yeah. up till that time, you had only been designing for your husband, this musician. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. And I started when I was a kid. My dad was in and out of mental hospitals and built ticket booths and theaters for us. And he used to say, he used to bring me home bags of garbage and say, here, you make, you're the costume designer. Anyway, when I got to LA, the group was trying to get me to speak that I was a costume designer. And I said, I can't do that. You can't say you're a costume designer until you've done a movie. They kind of pushed me. They were coaching me, we call it. And, uh, mm. and I finally said, all right, I'm a costume designer. Screw all of you. I was so mad. <laughs> Next day, I went to work. I was a PA on a really low-budget movie. And the designer came up to me and said, what do you want to do anyway with your life? And I said, and I, I pretended I was in my group. And I stepped over into the creative domain. And I said, oh, I'm a costume designer. <laughs> And she said, great, I'm hiring you. I'm, I'm, move, I'm going on to be a production designer. I want you to be my costume designer. And it was um, Angelina Jolie's first movie. It was awesome. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And well, if it had been the day before, I would have said, oh, someday when I think like I could say this, I might want to kind of try to be a costume designer. And she yeah. said, great, come back later. Yeah. Well, it's not as though you, you said that and had no experience at all designing oh. outrageous costumes anyway. I had no problem actually designing. I just, it was just like second nature. It was, yeah. I just loved it and I had no problems at all. It was great. Oh, but, but, well, what, <laughs> so let's, let's dive into these films a little bit. What's your favorite film? The one probably, that you're most proud of. Probably Orgasmo, which was the the Mormon, Mormons. I was watching Orgasmo. <laughs> I, I'm so shocked you said that. <laughs> Very shocking. While we were doing the movie, Trey came home one day and said, Matt, we got we to, gotta, Comedy Central wants to pick, wants to use us. We better figure out what we're going to do for Comedy Central. And that was um, South Park. Oh, so no kidding. South Park guys. This was pre-South Park. Oh. Orgasmo was pre-South Park. Yeah. So, but they were so fun to work with because no matter what I made, they were like, yeah, that's great. Oh, yeah, let's do more. Oh, yeah, that's great. And I'd say, how about this? And now it's turned into more, The Mormons, which is a Broadway yeah. show. That kind of stuff was my favorite because it was outlandish. And no matter what you did, they loved it. Oh, for goodness. Well, I'm definitely going to put a couple links in for Orgasmo. <laughs> I'm so shocked you said It's kind of shocking, yeah. When I read the script, I was like, wonder what this is for? Who's going to watch this? It's about a Mormon young man who's going to get married, and he has no money, and he applies for a job. He's on a mission. Know what the job is. No, he's on a mission. He's on his mission, and he oh, knocks on a door in North Hollywood where there, there's a porn film being shot. And the director goes, whoever's outside, get him the heck out of here. So big old thugs come out and push him around and he's a black belt. So he starts fighting and the director says, that's what I need. I need action person. I need an action person and offers him a bunch of money. Yeah, $20,000. And he, and he takes it because he wants to get married at the Norman Tabernacle. Yeah. But he doesn't realize he's going to be a porn star. Oh, yeah, he does. He, he doesn't tell his girlfriend. He calls her on the phone, but doesn't tell her it's porn. <laughs> oh, my God. That, that is, is funny. Yeah. yeah. But that's well, the kind of stuff I like to do. Yeah, it is that crazy off the wall. And then I did a lot of stuff with these, this wonderful 
like Sundance directors that I just loved. Mm. We did these independent, beautiful, beautiful films. And I loved working with them. Oh, do you have a couple favorites that come yeah, to mind? Christopher, Christopher Munch, uh, he did Color of a Brisk and Leaping Day and Sleepy Time Gal and Letters from a Big Man. But M-U-N-C-H, Christopher Munch, he's just wonderful, wonderful director. Mm. I loved working with him. Very poetic. Did you travel with these films or were you in A LA? lot of times, yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot of times you would travel, which was fun too. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And how many years total? 26. 26. And yeah. you retired from the yes. film industry. Yeah. yeah. I still do a lot of stuff, but, but um, you know, I do little independent things for people here and there. Uh-huh. But what yes, was the most challenging time you had? Oh, good question. Uh, it was hard for me. That's the thing uh, that was amazing about the artist conferences. I was very happy just being married to Norton and making his costumes and I was behind the scenes taken care of. Moving to LA I had to be out front and sell myself and and I it was torture for me. It was just torture for me mm. to to constantly you know to have to go in there and and sell yourself because you had to get a job. As soon as your job was over you had to go get another job. Mm-hmm. And so I think the hardest thing for me was selling myself even after you had a reputation was that still the same routine yeah Yeah. Yeah. i i and that's what's so phenomenal about the artist conference is i i would have just stayed in sonoma and been a waitress probably Mm -hmm. instead of moving to la and moving to la was such an enormous stretch for me and i had to work at it a lot yeah and what got you through it it was beverly Oh, yeah. The Artist Conference definitely got me through it. So we've mentioned the Artist Conference so many times. People (laughs) don't know what the heck we're talking about. Tell us, what is the history of the Artist Conference Network and Beverly, her role in that? Beverly Castle started it in 1984. She was a painter. She had a degree in art and minors in religion and philosophy. And she taught at the University of Colorado and the University of Santa Cruz. She wanted to create a different culture for the arts. She said she would teach people and they'd be master painters. They would leave her class and never paint again. She said in the artist conference, people would come to her, maybe not even know what medium they were gonna work in or what art they wanted to do. And after doing the artist conference, they had such a context for who they were in the world that they would go and find the person to teach them what they needed to know. It's a coaching structure for the creative process is what it is. And she developed five different coaching structures. Well, I didn't know that, that there are five different coaching structures. Yeah, and you did them with me. You, we did the distinctions in speaking. Oh, okay, is, I see. Yeah, like yeah. that, which is like the format for the beginning of it. Then we do coaching for visions. Then we do coaching for goals. Then we do breakthrough coaching. And then we do coaching for sharing work, looking at work. She said that a story told as the truth, there's no movement. A story Mm -hmm. told as a story 
there starts to be some movement that happens. And a story told as a story and committed to the rigors of form have a possibility of transformation. So you're going to have to break that apart for us. Yes, because she, and so she set up a form, these five structures. And when we go through them, transformation happens. You, you learn these five coaching structures on the weekend, and then the group continues on with these. And the only commitments we need from you are never critiquing in the space and be coachable. Critiquing is anything that mucks with your process. Yeah, advice is also critiquing. And the reason I brought up the, uh, the forum stories because we have different muscles we're using. We have an inventive muscle, an interpretive muscle, and a, a um, report muscle. And we break things down in meetings have you to speak in those distinctions and what happens is people have breakthroughs and they produce people produce a lot in the group and it's phenomenal because you watch people come into these groups so intent on their art they it's so important to people their artwork is so important they have such mm -hmm. a need to share the vision that we get is who you are in the world, who you are on the planet. And so we're always looking at who you're being in any situation. And when you're coached on your artwork, we're doing it from the place of who you're being in the world. Yeah. It's in our speaking. We keep the space inventive where we're out there on the risky edges of aliveness. We're inventing things or we're reporting on what we did or we're in making up new ways of being. And there's a transformation in the breakthrough coaching where you collect all of your stories, your beliefs, look at who you're being in that and step into the creative domain and make up another way of being. Mm -hmm. And that is your example of, I'm a costume designer. Exactly, exactly. That's who you were and your being and you, but you had, what was the story that you had that oh. kept you in this? <laughs> oh, I absolutely cannot be a costume designer until I design a movie. I can't come to LA, say I'm a costume designer and design a movie. I have no right to do that. You cannot do that. You can't do that. That's and all so, the stories that yeah. you have. So yeah. I'll have to um, go to maybe the film school and, and do a film for free and, or else go find someone and mentor with them. And the group was just saying, well, you know, why don't you just say your, and I, I was so mad. That's the good thing about the, we call it a, a word action or a stand. When you go into the creative domain, you make up another way of being mm -hmm. based on nothing. You don't have to even believe it over there. That's what was so great. Cause I did not believe it. I was so mad at that group and I did not believe it. And the next day, here's somebody asking me what I'm doing and I spoke it and got the job. So, you know, that's a very practical example. Yes, step right in it and manifested it so fast. And that's what happens when you yeah. really believe it. Or do you need to believe it? Do you just declare it? You just I declare it. I didn't believe it. And even when she, yeah. when she walked in the room and said, Kristen, what are you doing anyway? What do you want to do? Oh, my God. I pretended I stepped into the creative domain and I just said, oh, I'm a costume designer. And oh, I was so embarrassed. <laughs> 
because I knew it was, wasn't true and all this stuff. And she said, oh, that's fabulous because I really need a costume designer on this mm -hmm. next project and I really like you and I, I want you to do it. <laughs> well, and, I, and I, I just have to point out that you are skilled. You did yeah. have experience all those years with your, with your husband yeah. designing his costumes because I could not go and say, I'm a piano right. player. Right, so right, 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 right. But I, my stories were that I, I had to first do a film before I could say I, I was a, a costume designer. And mm. really, I didn't because I, I did have the skills. Yeah. But I had all those stories wrapped up about how, what were the reasons why I couldn't do it. There was another woman in L.A. Who, was a, who came. She was my age. She was older, too. And she came. She was a dance teacher in Ohio and singer, you know, very much like Liza Minnelli and stuff. And she would call me every morning and say, did you know that out of 9,648 SAG members, only three work a day? You know, she constantly had these proof of why she could never work. I constantly say, do you want to use this space to argue for your limitations? Mm. And don't we use this space to coach each other, to look at who we're being, and then step into the creative domain and make up another way of being based on nothing. And the reason that works is, and see, there's, like I see, like religious people say, well, you just need to love Jesus. Or, or a lot of the consciousness movements say, energy follows thoughts, you must keep your thoughts happy and clean or whatever. And this is the first time I've ever seen a step-by-step. -step. That's why I talked about the form that Beverly talked about. This is submitted to the rigors of form. We have a form that goes step-by-step-by-step -by -step -by -step for you to go from, I can't do that. I have no right to do that. I shouldn't be able to do that to stepping into the creative domain and making up another way of being. And the way we do that is when you're speaking all your, the reasons why you can't do something or your beliefs or your stories about, you know, it's hereditary and, you know, my mother did this to me and, you know, all your reasons for keeping you where you are. We look at who you're being in that. Mm -hmm. And then that's where we have the distinction speaking and the, in the interpretation, there's a fact, like maybe my mother did hit me. But then I interpret that. What did I make that mean? I, me I made that mean that mm. I'm a bad person. So the part I made up was I'm a bad person. So did I make up I'm a bad person? Yes. Oh, so if you made that up, might you want to step into the creative domain and make up another way of being? And the only way you know that you're in the creative domain is that you make it up based on nothing. So I step over and make up, I am, you know, the angel of crea creation or something. But it's always who you're being. We're always looking at who you're being in mm. the world, who you're being. So even in, our, in the psychological domain, where you collect all your beliefs and stories, mm -hmm. we collect them all and say, who are you being in that? And you say, oh, I'm being a victim or I'm being... In grouch and but we don't stay there that's the interesting part is that in uh in coaching and in psychology we can tend to stay in that who are you being oh. and remember when we worked together uh we didn't evaluate that oh where does that come from you know does that come from no past? no because 
We don't go there. We go right to making up a new way of being. Because see, there are certain questions when I, when you're, we call it the psychological domain, which is Fernando Flores's concept of the psychological domain and the creative domain. The psychological domain is all thinking and all feeling. So over there, we collect your stories and the coach has no idea where you're going. If I know where you need to go, then I need to, to back off and bring somebody else in. So we collect the stories and it's, it's almost like improv. Oh, that's an interesting concept. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Because for me to ask, oh, how does that make you feel? Or where did that come from? I'm just doing more stories with you. And all I want to know is in your, collect all your stories and your stories may be very complex. You know, I was born here and this person hit me and I failed this and I lost all my money. And then I say, well, okay, take that story. Tell me, who are you being in that story? Mm -hmm. I'm being a failure. I'm being a failure. Oh, you're a failure. Okay. And then we might go under it more and more. But then I say, did you make that up? And you did, you, you maybe did lose money and maybe you did get hit and maybe you did uh, lose your job, but mm -hmm. you made that mean you're a failure. So if you can make that up, step into the creative domain and make up something else. And the only way you know you're the creative domain is you, it's based on nothing. In the psychological domain, it's based on proof and history and belief and mm -hmm. all this, all the thinkings and feelings, the way you feel, it's all based on that. So we know you're in the psychological domain, but in the creative domain, it's based on nothing. It's bringing forth something from nothing. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the vision. Everything we do is commensurate with the vision that we get the first day. And the vision is who you are in the world. And we have these particular questions that pull out really the essence of who you are in the world. That is such an interesting process too, the way you go through that to get to the vision, which changes every year. But the vision statements are funny. A lot of them are just really funny. I mean, yeah, I remember yeah. the one about Dr. Livingston. <laughs> <laughs> and my favorite one is this woman who was a writer and her vision is, I am Celeste, the night librarian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the night librarian. That's great. Oh, my God. So many great visions. Even the way you got to the vision statement, it's quite a long process. It's a series of questions and answers. And you then you dig down underneath, well, who are you being in that? And you look for themes. And, well, I'm describing it. You should describe how you get to that oh, vision good. statement that that actually becomes the North Star for a person for a year. Yes, yes, yeah. And then our goal is set commensurate with the vision. We do the vision first, mm -hmm. and then everything else is commensurate with that vision. Even when you show work, you speak your vision, and the group really appreciates who you are, not, you know, what you, what you came to to do this piece of work. And the other cool thing is because there's no um, critiquing, you know, no matter what you say, I am Queen Prada Dada. That was my last one. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's cool. You know, no matter what you say, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> we're well, also, you're not Queen Prada Dada. <laughs> 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 and 
because we're also constantly working the inventive muscle. You know, we're mm -hmm. making shit up all the time. Frank Lloyd Wright said, daydreams are basic design. Yes. It's like we're putting it into the room. It's a, it's a magical space gets set up with no critiquing. And people bring more and more work in and people speak, start to speak the questions we ask when you look at work. It pulls out almost like mission statements from people about what they're up to in their work. What do they stand for in their work? What was your intention in this piece? It's always going back on you are the sole authority of your life and your work. So the whole group and the whole weekend is all about you being the sole authority. Mm -hmm. And nobody would I ever love, ask I you just love this space of creativity. It's one that I really haven't studied very much at all. Because uh, I always went in science, you know, science and business and, you know, you learn how to do stuff and you kind of begin to master whatever it is you're doing. But in the creative space, and as I look at all of these artists and how they're finding their voice and expressing yeah. themselves in terms of art, it's so much of an unknown. They're stepping into an unknown. Yeah, you're and right. They right. seem to have, That's and right. I can share this, is we have right. a lot of doubts yeah. because we're going where no one else has gone. We've chosen to yeah. follow a path that is our own path. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's a need that every human being has to express themselves artistically. I think you're right. I think you're right. Oh my God, you said that so beautifully. Wow. Mm -hmm. We're always pushing to the inventive language mm -hmm. and it's so beautiful to see well like this guy one one weekend wanted to be an artist and we tell everybody to bring something bring anything and and that's the cool thing too you bring in anything you could bring in a poem written on a napkin you know what i mean mm -hmm. it doesn't matter you bring something in he brought in a little toothpick sculpture he really wanted to be an artist mm -hmm. So the questions that we ask, we show work, we said, what was your intention in this piece? He said, oh, it was just to make something to bring to the weekend because I didn't have anything. We go, okay, invent some other intentions. And he said, oh, uh, my intention was to make movement with straight right angles. Wow. I know the whole room went, oh, and I know. And that was him. You know, we were inviting inventive language. Make something up. Make up an intention as if you weren't even aware when you were doing it. What might have been, you know. And the next, the first meeting, he brought in this sculpture that was a horse with the hair, the mane just flying and the tail flying and the horse was jumping. It was all movement. Wow. I know. And, and people start speaking about their work in a different way. Mm -hmm. Because we invited in the questions and, mm -hmm. and we don't let people bring disclaimers in. Ever. The stories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not a real artist. I'm right. Looking, right. I'm looking for my inner artist. Right. Like, like he could have said, uh, we said, but make, he said, Oh, I just needed to make something to bring it. Well, invent some other intentions. You know, he could have said, even though I didn't know what I was doing, I wanted to make movement from straight right angles we would have had him take out the, even though I didn't know what I was doing yeah. and speak 
movement from straight right angles. And mm. then you're really standing in the power of mm. your speaking. People just bring work in like that. People are shocked how much, because when, you, when you're bringing it into a space where there's no critiquing, when we show work, we acknowledge your work. So you ask for acknowledgements and get them back verbatim, which is also you practicing mm. stepping out and speaking and getting that back. Mm. And that, that's another difference too. It just occurred to me that when we get feedback in the business world, often that's construed to mean constructive feedback or negative feedback. I have actually had leaders tell me that, well, no, I I don't want the positive feedback because I don't want to be complacent and lazy. Wow. So just tell me what I'm doing wrong. Isn't that like my German grandma, right? You must suffer to be beautiful. (laughs) When she was combing my hair and I was crying, right? I know. I think people think that. And, and but we don't allow that in the space. Mm-hmm. And, and we say, oh, absolutely. Go somewhere else. If you want to critique, uh, there's plenty of places to get critiqued. And we're not against that. Just in the space that we create, there's no critiquing ever allowed there. Ever. Mm-hmm. Ever. Yeah. It really opens up a, a space for people to happily bring in whatever they're experimenting with, mm-hmm. working on. And also for the people who are looking at the work of the other artists to suspend their judgment, which is so hard. We tend to be very judging. You know, we might have a tendency to say, well, I don't like those two colors together. But That's right. That's right. <laughs> because of this format, we're put in a position to look for the positive, to look for something reinforcing and positive to say. Or you look for your experience. Yes. Like I, I feel excited when I look at all that red Mm -hmm. or something like that. You really try and give your experience of it. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Really. That's a really good point. Yeah. So many people say in those colors together evoke. Yes. Passion or conflict or sadness. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a poet in Atlanta who said to me, I'm just looking for information. I started writing uh, two years ago and I didn't really know how. And it was so amazing to read in the group and the feedback I got back. I really got information on if people heard what I said or didn't understand what I said. Or I was shocked that people understood what I was talking about because you know? <laughs> I felt like it was all unintelligible. The feedback showed me what people heard. It was, it was great. It really, yeah. it's a wonderful process. Now that you're not doing the costume designing, what is next for you? Well, I wrote a novel in the group. I made a goal to write a novel and I wrote it. And now I'm doing the second draft. So that, yeah, that's mostly what I'm doing. I'm just running groups and writing a novel. Mm, and writing a novel. <laughs> <laughs> Now, is is your novel anything about your experience in Hollywood? Well, it's no, it's how I got married when I was 16. It's pretty much about my dad and my family. I had uh-huh. kind of a crazy family. So it's kind of about that. But it's it's most, I think it's going to be a humorous, dark comedy. Mm, okay. All dark, right. Dark comedy, maybe. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, it sounds like it's been a restorative process for you. It is. It's really been 
exciting. It's been really fun. Yeah. And the group, it's so great because I have a place to take it and read and get feedback. It's uh, very helpful for me to yeah. be in a group. Like when I was in LA, I was always so busy. I couldn't, I wasn't really in a group very often because I was crazy busy. So having my own group in Sonoma is amazing. Hey, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier how Beverly was critical support for you. Once you got into your career, into costume designing in Hollywood, that she continued to be a support for you. Yeah. How was that? Well, when I first got to L.A., she ran like three groups in L.A. and went to each one and ran them ongoing. And this was the first group she coached us and we were blown away. We were all like, ah, she said, okay, this is what you should do. First meeting, you should do this. And then you should do that. We had little scraps of paper. We were writing everything down. So when I got to LA, I started following her to every weekend she did because she started doing them in Philadelphia and all across the country because she did it all very intuitively. Mm. And I took notes. I said, Beverly, first you did this. And then you did that. And then you did this. She goes, I did? I did? <laughs> so we started uh, the structure for, you know, the same structure. Oh, yeah. so that's how you got the structure of those different kinds of coaching mm -hmm. questions. Well, she did it all, but she kind of did it more intuitively. And then mm -hmm. Donna Keegan, another uh, person who's now a board of director, helped her actually write. So we now have notebooks that we hand out and leaders notebooks. Then one day she just said, okay, you're going to go lead a weekend. So then I started leading weekends. You had a real passion for the coaching. She was my biggest uh, cheerleader. I could do no wrong. I, I was thinking about the other day, she trained me and trained me and trained me. And I don't think ever once in her life did she critique me. Mm. Ever, ever. And I was like, how did she teach me how to do that? You know? Wow. Yeah. But yeah. we we pretty much coached every day. And it was always the same stuff. She was always, you know, whatever stories she had that day or whatever stories I had that day. So you'd follow the format that there is now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What are the boundaries of creativity? It might be unconditional love. The ability to go forward. When I'm coaching somebody, it's such a unfettered space. The reason it is, is because nobody knows where they're going. Beverly set the structure up that you don't know. You know, you come in beginner's mind and go where that person is going and just go with them. And that allows them to have the freedom to open up and go wherever they want to go. Nobody knows where you're going. So it's an unknown thing. I yeah. just know that I dive in with people and mm -hmm. the structure allows them to just go and go and go and go. That works beautifully for the creative spirit because you're making shit up all the time. You're invited out into the fuzzy edges of aliveness. And, you know, people say, oh, but I'm not really good at the inventive language, you know. And I say, no, it's just like Pilates, you know. We're just, we're all working that muscle together, you know. We're making some stuff up here. And then other people say, well, they cannot report on something. Other people cannot report. Like, did you do five paintings? Well, my mother was sick and I was, no, no, no. It's a yes or no answer. <laughs> it's almost like dividing these structures up. These, these distinctions, 
and asking you to step from distinction to distinction breaks things apart and opens it up to whatever you want to invent. Creativity, you know, it's an invitation to invent. It's very interesting how this form of questions gets to story, but it doesn't get into the story. Right. It kind of helps. Right. It's a process of uncovering these limiting beliefs and stories that we have, but also uncovering what we want to do. So there's an element of freedom there too. Is that okay? I know. I, here's the I, freedom you want, but here's yeah. the story that's kind of anchoring yeah. you in yeah. place. What it is, is rent looking underneath to see what's really there you know yes and you know somebody could bring in a painting that's solid orange and you're going oh my god you know it's too orange but you acknowledge its orangeness or whatever and their intention was to saturate themselves with orange you know and mm -hmm. the next week they may bring in a painting that's just like a breakthrough painting yeah. but it's their process mm -hmm. and that's the inextricable thing about art is what affects you you don't even really know what it is it's something about the voice the process that person's going through when they're doing it that's the power of the yeah. work of course michelangelo he, he waits for the image to appear in the block of a granite or marble or whatever he's working in and that's what i hear a lot of artists say i start writing and then the pen starts to wow. write wow yeah so yeah. all i have to do is start all i have yeah. to do is come yeah. to the table goal is a is a dream with a deadline almost yes and I love that. You get your goal we hoot and holler and clap if you don't get your goal we hoot and holler and clap but really it's like you said it's the opportunity to go for what you want which might be like you said sitting there and waiting for the work to come but part of your goal would be to sit there. Well, let me ask you something. Knowing what you know now about how your <laughs> career was <laughs> launched and <laughs> off and what you've learned through Beverly and the Artist Conference Network and coaching thousands of people, what would you do differently? Well, for one thing, I would have taken more pictures of my work and really presented myself Mm -hmm. And the other thing I might have done was there was a really, really famous designer who loved me and wanted me to be her assistant. But I got that little, that first little job. So I quit. <laughs> mm -hmm. And if I'd stayed with her for probably two or three years, I would have been a big designer, really big mm -hmm. designer. Yeah. All, all I wanted to do was design. I was so excited about designing. I never would have known that at the time, that that was a better choice to do. Mm -hmm. And I but think- But documenting I, your work, that's interesting. Yes. Oh, I would yeah. have, I, I never put it out there. I really didn't put it out there. You wouldn't have recognized me when I first went to LA. I was like the most scaredest, shyest, really <laughs> did step out of context to go and yeah. do that. And it was all because of Beverly. Well, you are definitely not shy. <laughs> <laughs> you have more energy than anyone I know. It's amazing. <laughs> what advice would you give uh, somebody who wants to explore their creative side? Oh, oh. Well, I would have them call me and I'll get them a vision, do a vision with them. Mm. That's what I would do. What a gift. Yeah. 
Oh, I mean, like Beverly said, she trained all these students all those years. They would go off and maybe do nothing. And then she said she'd coach one person. It's like looking at who you are in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, what are you expressing? And who are you in the world? And standing for that. You know, speaking it and standing for Mm -hmm. that. And it makes everything else break away as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. it, it gives you yeah. a place to stand in the world. Like when Beverly first said, we're going to do a vision back in 1989, I had traveled all over the world. I'd been married twice. I'd hitchhiked everywhere. I'd done all this stuff, you know. And I thought, well, I have a vision. And then I thought, actually, I don't have a vision. I don't even know what she means. And speaking that vision just broke my whole world apart. It was like the first time I... Looked like sat up on down on a cloud and looked down. What is Kristen up to? Who is she? Mm-hmm. And I saw so clearly who I was and and where I came from. And it was about heart and mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. And I never could have spoken that to anybody. Yeah. Know? And yeah. it was about creative creation mm-hmm. too. I was. It was about heart and love and creativity mm-hmm. and stepping always stepping out of context. Mm-hmm. So, yes. But I could have, nobody, where in the world would you meet somebody? You know, I had teachers who said, oh, Kristen, you're very special, or you're very smart, or that's a good drawing. You know, I got that kind of stuff. But nobody said, what the hell are you doing here? You know, who yeah. are you on this planet? Yeah. What are you up to? Yeah. At the same time, inviting the inventive language. Mm-hmm. You always remind me of this play because <laughs> the way that you explore with somebody what's possible. Yeah. And yeah. just your whole, it's not a serious kind of thing. It's no. more of, it's a very playful curiosity. Yes. Playful curiosity. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's playful curiosity. And that might be what creativity is. Mm. So for the, uh, for the business person, who's in charge of innovation and breakthrough and, you know, just bringing creativity and staying ahead of the pace, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, you know, that's funny because the artist conference has so much structure. I would probably coach them to lay out what they're up to like what the bottom line thing is they're up to and then have them make a, a structure and then, and then ferret out all of their reasons why they can't do any of that stuff. Mm. The artist conference network, just by putting the word artist in there, it, yeah. it attracts artists. Yeah. And I think we all have this creative uh, oh my God. drive within oh us. Oh my God. Yeah. And I told so you about the, that, that science this woman in Berkeley, she was doing the, uh, the flowering plants of the rainforest. And she was bringing in her scientific experiments and laying them down. And we didn't understand them, so she started color coding them. And then when we, she was in the front of a scientific journal talking about this young woman who had invented this brilliant structure for, for color coding experiments. Oh, my gosh. She took the weekend on Saturday. She was so mad at Beverly. She's going, this is crock of shit. What are you talking about? You know, by Sunday, she loved it because she was so creative. Scientists are very, are so creative. Oh, definitely. There's this element of playful curiosity that applies not only to the artist, 
but also to all of us and our creative spirit and drive. There's room for a lot of room for people in business to have this kind of a support network, yes. a creative support yes. network, yes. Uh, because they can explore their own creativity and bring that into whatever they're doing. Yes. yes. However they're expressing themselves. And, and that's, after all, that's all it is, is an expression of yourself. Just another costume, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> it kind of is, I guess. It is, I guess. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I just, I just love talking with you. It's, it's an hour of laughing and it feels so good, you know, to be creative and explore these other spaces. And, you know, clearly you love what you do and I'm so glad you're doing it because I had an opportunity to meet you and find this really supportive network on the website. I'm going to put some links I'll look for some links of some of the movies that we've talked about. <laughs> and uh, if you have any other links of some of your costumes, I'd love to put them out there. Oh, wow. I don't think I do. See, that's, yeah, <laughs> I think I do. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for your call with me today. I just so appreciate it. I'm Cinder it. And you've been listening to the Inspired Wisdom Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope these conversations illuminate your path to your highest potential. For show notes and links to resources mentioned during today's episode, please go to inspiredwisdom.us. You can also follow Inspired Wisdom on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, design a fulfilling and prosperous life that engages your talents and passions.